0: Well, good morning family. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Grab your Bibles. Let's open them up. Genesis 20 is where we are today. We've been looking uh, at the journey of Abraham uh, through this series and once again, Abraham finds himself uh, in a dangerous situation. He's got to either, uh, he's got to choose to either live out his divine calling from God or take the path of comfort and we're going to see once again, Abraham takes the path of comfort. I'm really rooting for this guy, but he blows it. So um, we're going to read the passage, chapter 20. We're going to do a whole chapter today, one, one sermon. You think we can do that? I love a challenge. There we go. And then we're going to pray. Chapter 20, starting in verse 1. from there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he sojourned in Gerar and Abraham said of Sarah, Sarah his wife she is my sister and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said behold you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, "Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands have I done this." Then God said to him in the dream, "Yes, Early in the morning, and he called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. And every place to which we come, save me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and he gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your written word that we can all look at this and read this and ask questions about this and know you through your word. And God, I pray right now that you would come now and speak to our hearts. You would change our lives, God. Um, I pray that you would uh, help us listen to you. Help me speak with humility and clarity and boldness, Lord, in a way that would help your people today. For we love you, Lord, and we pray in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, sometimes we read through scripture and we can get so caught up in the details of the story that were written uh, because they are such beautifully written stories that we miss kind of the forest for the trees. We miss the big Big picture, and so I want us to start by doing just a little bit of review. I want us to get the big picture of kind of the overview of this journey of Abraham that we've been talking about. Abraham was chosen by God to be his ambassador of good news to the entire world. We talked about this on the first week of the series, that God uh, redeemed Abraham's life in order to give him a new purpose, a new mission for living his life. Abraham's mission was to tell unbelievers about God and his desire to redeem them from death. And so God promised to make uh, disciples of Abraham, if you will. He decided to make a nation of little Abrahams out of him. People who live by faith in the one true God, the God that redeems. We, We talked about this in Genesis 12. It was the first week of our series. Let's go to Genesis 12. God says, and I will make of you... A great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So whatever nation that he traveled to, his high calling, Abraham's reason for living was to bless people as God's representative on the earth. That's why he's there. He had spoken to the one true God, and he had entered into a very intimate and covenant relationship with this real God. And he's coming to know what God wants from his people, his creation. And so when people bump into Abraham through his journey and his sojourning and wandering, they should encounter the truth about God. They should be experiencing blessing By knowing God. People that don't know God, when they bump into Abraham, they should know who God is and how great he really is in the world. And this mission has not changed at all for Abraham over the years. He is to spread the good news that God saves sinners like Abraham. That God rescues the righteous and will remove wickedness from the earth. Like in Sodom and Gomorrah, God redeems the broken and the lost like he did with Sarah. You see these themes developing in these stories? Abraham is encountering the heart of God through all of these situations that we've been reading about in the book of Genesis, which means he is learning what to share with others about God. Yet here he is, is another crisis point, and Abraham is looking just like an ordinary guy like the rest of us. Not exactly the father of faith, but just some guy that just wanted to try to save his own hide. The big idea for today is that though we l- fail to live into our calling, God will not fail us, and he won't fail himself. Though you and I fail to live, Into our calling, God will not fail us or himself. Isn't that good news? Today, we're going to talk about God's calling, our problem, and God's solution for that problem. First, God's calling. God has called us to bless unbelievers with happy news. He's called us to bless unbelievers with happy news. Let's go to the text. We're going to, talk, we're going to look at this dream that God, that God gives uh, Abimelech. We're going to look at the beginning and the end of that dream. Verse 3 and then first part of 7. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and he said, Behold, you are a dead man. Well, that, would, that would get my attention. I don't know about you. I mean, if like God, like if I came to you and said, Behold, you're a dead man, you're like, yeah, you and what army, right? But God says you're a dead man, guess what? You're a dead man. (laughs) That's scary. You're a dead man because the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Verse 7, this is the end of that conversation. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall, what's that word? Live. Live. So you're a dead man, but you can live. God saves Abimelech's life by preventing him from committing Adultery, which by the way, that was like the big sin in the culture back then. Like, no matter what God you worshiped or what religion you were a part of or not, like, everyone agreed, like, that was the big no, no. You should die for that, right? And so he prevents him from doing this and he makes a way out for him to live. There's a real simple but profound message here in this story God brings the dead to life. God brings the dead to life. And we've talked about this in the series, that this is our message also as children of Abraham. Not just individual believers, but as a body of believers, as a church. We exist, Crossway, to tell others about the good news of God. God who redeems the rebels, forgives the wicked, and can save the sinner from death, just like Abimelech. This is an amazing message, because there is no other message out there like this. every other philosophy and religion and worldview and politic and way of thinking about the world. Every single one of them basically says this. At the root, it's about giving people good advice on how to escape death. Now just think about that. It boils down to this, it's just giving good advice on how to escape death or prevent death or get out of death. That's all it is. It says, here's what you do to save your life. Here's what you do to save that dead relationship. Here's what you do to save that dead career that's about to tank. Here's what you do to save that dead dream that you really wanted to come true. You really wanted to happen. Here's what you got to do. You pray this prayer. You travel to the city. Eat these foods. Not those foods, but these foods. Give to this charity indulge in this fantasy avoid those people network with these people and if you do that long enough and you try hard enough you can redeem your life from death you can save yourself our message crossway is fundamentally one of good news not good advice God has done for you what you could not do for yourself God has not come to make bad people good people. God has come to make dead people alive. And He wants to do that for you. Like, that's the message. Come along. Come along. See, the reason that we exist as a church is to spread that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful message in our neighborhoods. In our families, to our coworkers, and to mature people in that gospel message, this is our high calling, brothers and sisters. This is our mission as the people of God. Everything else that we do must be subservient to that mission. We must serve that. Sounds good, huh? Let's go. You ready? It's clear, it's straightforward. God's given us plenty of information about it, right? So, what's the problem? What is the problem? Our problem is that we shirk our high calling for a life of comfort. We shirk our high calling for a life of comfort. So, Abraham arrives in town, and the first thing that he does is he shares this happy news with the king of this, the city, right? Not so much. Not exactly. He and Sarah, they do their little sister-wife routine, right, that they did in Egypt and they do to every town that they've gone to. Basically, they find themselves in a difficult situation, maybe even a dangerous, life-threatening situation, and instead of living into their high calling, they do whatever it takes for them to have a comfortable life. That's what they do. They deceive King Abimelech, and they end up being a curse to him instead of a blessing to him. You see, God's keeping his part of the covenant. He's keeping keeping his word, right? And when the king finds out about this, by the way, through direct divine intervention... He wakes up the next morning, not only scared, but uh, a little upset. He wants to know, why did you do this? What is the problem? What is going on? And I would want to know too. Look uh, Look at the text here, verse 10 and 11. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in that place. And they will kill me they will kill me abraham shirks his high calling for a comfortable life why because he looked around and he assumed there was no fear of god in that place no fear of god in the people there in that town and we read this sentence and we should say yeah that's your job man Bring the knowledge of God to the town. That's your mission. He assumes that no one would listen to him before he even opens his mouth. Never mind the fact that God's actually at work at night behind the scenes. I find it interesting that God tells Abimelech that Abraham is a prophet. Because that means that someone who brings the knowledge of God. When Abraham didn't bring any knowledge of God. God had to reveal himself to Abimelech through a dream because Abraham wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And God says, then I will do it. It will get done. And why? Why Why does Abraham not keep the covenant? Because Abraham says, he tells us why. He was afraid to die. He was afraid to die. Actually, he was afraid he might die. He might die. He saw that life would get difficult for himself, and he pursued self-preservation over God-exaltation. I'm reading a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And I can only read it at night. It's a great thing to read before you go to bed. Uh, Not really. It's a wonderful book, actually. It's by Timothy Keller. And uh, he makes a helpful observation in that book about the human heart. He says, Martin Luther taught that human nature is incurvatus and in say, incurvatus and in say, curved in on itself. We are so instinctively and profoundly self centered that we don't even believe that we are. You see, we can't be too hard on Abraham because we know all too well that our hearts are incurvatus in I know that about my heart. If we're honest, we're also afraid that people will kill us if we bring the gospel to our neighbors and coworkers and family members. We're not so much afraid that they'll kill us, like literally kill us, right? But maybe they might kill us with their disapproving looks. You share, you talk about what's most important to you, and you just get that icy, cold stare. Hmm. Or maybe by belittling what we treasure, by what we believe to other people. Can you believe that? They believe a dead guy came back to life? For some of us, we may fear that family ties will be cut off. Or Maybe we're afraid that financial support will dry up. See, people like to try to control us through that, don't they? For others, it may cost us something. It may cost us the ability to move up the social ladder. We may lose friends that we enjoy spending time with. We may lose, I just can't network over there anymore. And that affects my job. They're going to blacklist me. Opportunities that could be normally open to us would, might be shut off when we share the good news with someone. These are real possibilities for some of us, maybe even some of us in this room. I know that. Let's be honest. That's scary, right? That's a form of death. So the fear causes us to shrink back. It causes hey, you know what? I'm just going to blend in so that things will be a little more comfortable you know, around the Thanksgiving table or in the shipyard. Just blend in but you know what when we're doing that we're denying something that's at the very core of why we exist you know, this can happen not just on an individual person by person level this can happen on a corporate level like a whole church wide level entire churches can begin to exist for making their members comfortable and that's why they're around Gradually, the program that we form or the Bible study that we attend, it isn't helping people understand the good news or to grow in the good news or to send people out with the good news. They just become times and places that make us feel comfortable that we're here around each other. You see, to reach unbelievers, it got real quiet, didn't it? To reach unbelievers with the gospel, that means putting my preference Aside for a higher calling and that's, that's kind of like a death, isn't it? it is it is to mature people in the good news you know what, that's, that's going to cost me months maybe even years of my life walking with someone to do that. And, that and that's kind of a form of death that's a sacrifice to do that that doesn't happen in like six weeks it means that I'm going to have to trust God. I'm going to have to trust that God knows what's best. And let's be honest, that's, that's kind of like a death. That's hard to do. That can be scary to trust God. So gradually, whole churches can gradually shrink back from their high calling and just exist to be comfortable. What makes us comfortable? We can keep ourselves busy doing a hundred other things besides the main thing, that we're made to do we shirk our high calling from God because you know what really deep down we're, we're afraid to die we're afraid to die so where does that leave us as a church or small where does that leave us like as individual family units or where does that leave us as individual well it kind of leaves us pretty useless to God if this is his purpose right Okay, that's it. Go home. No, I'm just joking with you. That's not the end of the story. I wouldn't do that to you. So here's the good news, though. God knows that about you and me. He knows that we're incurvitous in say. And he's done something about it. He's, he's done something about it. Look at this. God restores us to service and to his purpose. God restores us to service and his purpose. We get this in verse 16 and 17. To Sarah he says, this is Abimelech, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand... I just love how he says that. Oh, he's your brother, I'll give your brother a thousand pieces. I don't know if he's being sarcastic or what, but that always catches me when I read it. Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver it's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone that you are vindicated vindicated that means to show that you really, you were right then abraham prayed to god and god healed abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children so um, this was the part of the passage that I had a real difficulty with all right? I'm just keeping it real with you guys it's okay to read the Bible and go I don't understand that or I have a difficulty with that um, and this was the part for me uh, I was like you know it's not fair that God uh, works his blessings through Abraham after he failed to keep the covenant and not only that but he actually like cursed Abimelech he put him in harm's way he wasn't supposed to be putting him in harm's way Abraham doesn't deserve to be used by God now. This is a big fail. This is not like a minor thing. God hadn't stepped in, this would have gone another way. Why does Abraham get the honor and privilege of being a conduit through which God's blessings flow now? It's kind of like what I'm thinking through. But as I looked at what was happening, I realized that God wasn't working through Abraham's prayer so much as a privilege, but as a way to restore him to his purpose he say no you're supposed to do this <laughs> pray and bless him <laughs> remember Abraham has been outed everybody is a witness to his deception and the fact that he failed God he failed to follow the Lord the king just I mean he just dressed him down publicly in front of everybody and Abraham responds with a pretty lame excuse. He gives like a three, three-way excuse, and it's really lame. He didn't even say he's sorry. <laughs> Did you notice that? How useless to God's purpose is he looking like right now in front of everyone? So why does God have Abraham pray for King Abimelech? I think God is showing Abraham that he will not fail Abraham even though he failed God. God is not letting him get away from his purpose, from his mission. Notice that before God restores Abraham to service, he restores him to his status. Did you guys catch that? Just like Abraham's rebuke was on uh, King Abimelech's lips earlier in the story, so God's restoration is on King Abimelech's lips as well now in this part of the story. The king allows Abraham to live in his land like a citizen instead of a sojourner, which he was. He says, you got a new status. Citizen of my kingdom instead of sojourner, foreigner. The king gives him a thousand pieces of silver. That's an over-the-top amount to exonerate his wife. And then in an amazing act of humility, he basically apologizes for doing them wrong. (laughs) Are you kidding me? How gracious is this pagan king? This unbelieving king? How wonderfully gracious is this guy? By the way, none of that stuff was required of Abimelech. God didn't tell him to do any of that stuff. What did God tell him to do? Return the wife to the husband. Full stop. That's all he had to do. But that's not all he did. This was an expensive give, you, give your wife back kind of ceremony. It's amazing. I want you guys to see that. The king says, this silver is a sign of your innocence to all people. It, that phrase literally translates to, it's a covering over all the other people's eyes. This is going to cover their eyes. And it has the sense of atonement for wrongdoing. So he's basically saying, don't let anyone look disparagingly on you, Abraham and Sarah. You're innocent. He goes on to say, quote, you are vindicated, which carries the sense of a legal declaration. The king in front of all these witnesses declares them legally not guilty. You're not guilty. Maybe you were, but I'm saying you're not guilty. God uses a king to declare to all the witnesses there that Sarah and Abraham are righteous and innocent of any wrongdoing. God will use them to fulfill his purpose, to fulfill his mission. Anybody here ever watch the Pink Panther movies, new or old? We do. Yeah, they're great. Oh, my gosh, we got a photo. Inspector Clouseau, if you don't, I'll bring you real quick up to speak. Inspector Clouseau is a French detective, French investigator. And uh, he's completely inadequate as his role as an officer of the law, all right? He, he fumbles his way through every case that he's assigned. Uh, he's not very smart. He's not uh, very uh, observant of obvious clues that are right in front of him. He gets things wrong a lot of the time, yet in the end, he always seems to get restored to service. He always gets like a medal or something from like a high-ranking official, the government, Right? In the end, justice was served, and yeah, the criminal was caught, even though Clouseau bumbles his way through the entire job. In the end, he's restored to service despite his many failures along the way. It's incredible. Through Abimelech, God restores Abraham and Sarah by placing them back in service, even though they bumbled the job from start to finish. You know what? God has done the same thing for you and I, brothers and sisters. He's done that through another king, a better king, a king that's far more generous than Abimelech, a king that has far more integrity of heart and hand than Abimelech. God restores us to service by declaring us righteous at the cost of King Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 3. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 2 Timothy, Paul says, share in suffering. I don't like that one. Share in suffering for the gospel. I like sharing comfort for the gospel. Always sharing comfort for the gospel. <laughs> nah, no, that's not what it says. I guess I better read what it says. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Jesus came to truly hostile people like you and I. who truly did not have any fear of the Lord. And instead of seeking his own comfort, he lived into his high divine calling. He spread the good news of God to us. To us. And by the way, not at the the risk of dying, but the certainty of dying. That is the only way the gospel could become real for us. You see, it cost cost Christ far more than a thousand pieces of silver and a little plot of land to change our status from foreigner to citizen, from not guilty, from guilty to not guilty. It cost him way more than that, way more than that. That's chump change. It cost Christ immense suffering, immense suffering. It required that he be stripped barren and broke from the riches of heaven, it cost him humiliation of being baptized into our sins when he was actually innocent of any sin. That's like giving an apology for something you never did. And you know what? He did that for us. He did that so that comfort-seeking people like you and me <laughs> could be restored to that status of righteousness over and over. How many times we need to hear that you're righteous. You're righteous in Christ. I was reminded of that this morning. You're righteous in Christ. He did all of that for us, for us who shrink from our mission to be restored to service, God's service, even after our failures. Wow. Wow. What a king. What a humble, generous, ridiculously loving king. Guys, that is a king worth following. That is a king worth serving, though it's uncomfortable. That's a king worth dying for and dying to ourselves for. Because he died for us. That's why we love Jesus, and that's why we lift up the name of Jesus. I love you guys. Um, we're, gonna, we're just going to sing. John, if you want to come on out, let's sing. Let's sing, and this is going to be our time. We're just going to respond to God's word that he's spoken over us. We're going to respond through singing this next song. and um, Yeah, I love you guys.